Well, great to be with you today. And I want to also, just before I jump into this, acknowledge uh, good ministries, good churches are led by solid pastors. And I want to just uh, a shout out to Pastor Dan Meyer. I've known him for many years. It's unusual, let me say, it's unusual to have a pastor that has pastored in the same church for 25 years or longer. And um, I think the greatest impact is made by long-term pastors. So can we give it up for Pastor Dan? I don't know if he's in the house here, but yeah. It's great to be with you today. I want you to take your Bibles and to turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And as you're turning in, the, in your Bibles, I also want to say, you know, I always preach better when my wife is in the house and she's in here somewhere. I'm not sure where she's sitting. Wave at me, hon. Wink at me, hon. I don't know where she's at. She's somewhere in here. Um, and uh, my wife, Dee, and I have been partners in ministry uh, for many, many years now. You know, Missions Fest is uh, so glad that you're celebrating Missions Fest because uh, every church, church should be about the mission of Jesus, and every believer should be about living on mission for Jesus. I had the privilege and opportunity, as uh, they described earlier, uh, to be a part, part of a household. My parents both came to Christ, uh, Tara Beth, at a Youth for Christ rally, and they came to Jesus in the same Youth for Christ conference, didn't know each other, later found out that they came to Christ the same night during the same message and did not know each other. But they had a radical conversion to Jesus and decided in their 20s they wanted to go somewhere in the world and serve God. And so uh, they were in their 20s. I was six months old. They went to Costa Rica. Then they went to Chile. And my dad would ride a horse to the mountains of Chile uh, doing Bible studies in these uh, places that had no running water, electricity. And then they decided they wanted to go to a more, even more unreached area. And so we moved to the country of Spain, went to a city of 130,000 people with no evangelical or Protestant church there. And uh, that's where I grew up. We met in a horse stable. It didn't have the nice sound acoustics that this has. A whitewashed horse stable. My father was taken into the secret police and interrogated and multiple times. Our windows were broken. Our doors were burned. But we saw God do something powerful there. At the age of 17, I came to Chicago to study one year in Bible college. I thought, let me get grounded. I came from a town of 200 people, literally 200 people. I still remember my phone number, eight it was. There was more cows and horses in the town than people landed in the heart of Chicago, and I hated Chicago. The skyscrapers and the noise, and people were rude and not friendly, and I couldn't wait to get out of Chicago, like, get me out of this city. And someone told me while I was there, they said, you know, God has brought the nations to urban places like Chicago, and so if we reach Chicagoland, places like Chicago, we reach the nations. And he said, maybe you should plant a church in Chicago. I wanted to say, get thee behind me, Satan. 
but I found myself at the age of 21 on the southwest side of Chicago, back of the yards neighborhood with d- drug dealers on the corner. Uh, we had 18 people in the church and I was the preacher and I was the worship leader too. They were that desperate. And if you've ever heard me sing, you would know how desperate they were to have me to be their worship leader. Um, But I realized at that time that there's international missions and there's, we have a mission field across our street typically, no matter where we live. And so I don't want you to think as mission fest for just another country. I want you to realize that we are all called to live on mission for Jesus, And this story that I'm about to jump into today, found in John chapter 6, is really all about God taking what we offer him and multiplying it. And so, I believe that some of you are walking right past your divine opportunities because you feel that what you have is not enough to meet the need. There's not a person in this auditorium, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is not called. Let's dispel the myth that there's the called and the non-called. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to live on mission with Jesus. And uh, let's see, I have a lunch bag somewhere around here. I don't know where they put it. Oh, there he is. Thank you. Because I get hungry in the middle of my messages. Um. This story that I'm about to engage in today, this is really about a lunch bag. It's about a small boy that offers his lunch and Jesus touches it and it multiplies to do incredible things. And so I want you to hear because I believe that God has brought me here because there's someone here, I don't know who, there's someone, some people, multiple people that you needed to hear this message today. It needed to be deposited in your soul. I pray before I preach, God, let me uh, communicate the message and the passage that you want me to. And I pray, Father, that you know the heart's And you know what people need to hear. And I ask that you lead me to the right passage. And I believe that God led me to this passage. This story is found in all four of the Gospels. The Gospel of John in John chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6. In Luke chapter 9. And in Matthew chapter 14. It has the distinction of being one of the only miracles performed by Jesus that is in all four of the Gospels. Besides the resurrection of Jesus, this is the only miracle found in all four of the Gospels. And let me tell you, God doesn't do things by coincidence. There's a reason that this is found in all four of the Gospels. I believe because it's a compelling, powerful story that has principles that apply to our life right now in 2021. I'm going to begin reading in John chapter 6, verse 5. It says, when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming towards him. And he said to Philip, his disciple, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Verse six, listen. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. 
Another version says, he asked this only to test him because he already had a plan. I'm going to talk to you about four factors that you need to keep in mind when faith meets opportunity, when faith meets opportunity. And the first one is what I call the God plan. Write it down if you're taking notes, the God plan. Listen, I want you to know something today. You may be facing circumstances in your life that feel overwhelming. You may be confronting a marital issue that you say, I don't know how I'm going to solve it. Maybe it's a health issue, or maybe it's a work-related issue, or maybe it's an issue with a prodigal son or daughter. Whatever it may be that you feel overwhelmed with it right now, it is testing your faith. You look at the future and you see it bleak. You can't, it, it looks confusing, overwhelming, too much for you to handle. Maybe you're full of anxiety today. Maybe you've walked into this auditorium a bit depressed because you're facing something that seems absolutely beyond your ability to manage your handle, I want you to know something extremely important right now. God has a plan. You say, well, Pastor Mark, I wish I knew his plan. Well, he doesn't always tell you his plan. But I want you to know that this has not caught God by surprise, that God is not overwhelmed, that God is not frazzled, that God doesn't, He's not confused that right now in the midst of what you're facing, God has a plan. And part of what he's calling you to do is to trust him in the midst of this plan, but acknowledge the fact that God has a plan. I want you to see that in this passage that, uh, let me give you the context, a little bit of the background of this passage. Jesus who had been ministering uh, to the masses and the multitude of people, he would touch people that no one else would touch the lepers. He would speak truth into the Pharisees and religious leaders and so they hated him. He showed compassion to people that were caught in sin that other people would despise. He spoke like someone that they had never heard before. He spoke with authority yet compassion. He spoke truth but with love. He, he presented the good news and he actually did miraculous things. And so crowds of people, throngs of people came to see this iconic, interesting figure called Jesus. Some were looking for a political liberator to uh, relieve them from the oppression of the Romans. Others were looking for a sign, a miracle, a healing. Uh, some were looking to catch him uh, so that they could condemn him, but crowds gathered around Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus had been ministering to the crowds for a long time, and he gets some bad news. It tells us in uh, math. Uh, it, it tells us in um, uh, Matthew chapter fourteen when Jesus talking about the same story. When Jesus heard what had happened. He had heard that his relative, his close relative, uh, most scholars believe that he was a second cousin. Uh, his mother and uh, his, his aunt were pregnant at the same time. His second cousin, John the baptizer, who had baptized Jesus, walked alongside Jesus. He had just heard that he was brutally beheaded by Herod. And so he was grieving the loss of a close friend, a relative of his. He was tired. He was grieving. 
And like most people, when you hear some bad news, you want to get alone. He just wanted to get away from the crowds. Uh, My father died when he was 60 years old, and it was unexpectedly. And I remember I didn't want to be around people. I wanted to be alone. I wanted to think. I wanted solitude. So the Bible tells us that Jesus had just heard this news about the death of his second cousin. And so he try, he gets in a boat looking for some solitude. He wanted to be alone. And so he gets in the boat and he crosses in Luke chapter uh, 9. It tells us that he went to a deserted place to be alone. He, he didn't want to see people. But as, as his boat landed on the other side of the shore, as he was going in the boat, thinking about his cousin, overwhelmed by grief, he arrives on the shore Uh, trying to get alone from people and the crowd had heard where he was going and so the throngs of people followed him to the other side of the shore and so when he arrives on the shore and gets out of the boat the bible says he looks up in, in mark chapter 6 verse 34 it says when jesus landed he saw a large crowd the last thing he wanted to see but i love the response of jesus it says he, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. Luke chapter 9 verse 11 says, he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. I want you to notice this about Jesus is that no matter how overwhelmed he was and sad he was and how difficult it was, I love the fact that Jesus had compassion. He looked out of himself and he was in need. And some of you have experienced that recently. You've been in COVID and you've had your own issues and your own difficulty, but God has baptized you with the fresh compassion and love for people around you. And there's been times that you've ministered and helped and prayed for people and encouraged people even when you felt you needed it yourself. And I want you to know that that is the heart of Jesus. And after they ministered the entire day, evening is coming. They're in this deserted place with a crowd of people out there. And he turns to Philip and he says, hey, Philip. By the way, another passage says that the disciples said, Jesus, tell the crowd to go home now. We're tired. Tell them to go home. And Jesus turns to Philip and he says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Have you ever had a long, long day and then someone says, hey, by the way, can you? And you're like, no, I'm tired. Philip is like, what? Jesus, there's 5,000 men plus women and children, which means there's maybe close to 10,000 people and you want us to try to feed this massive amount of people. Jesus, what are you thinking? And there's times in life where we feel like God is calling us to do things that are absolutely overwhelming. I felt that at times. As a 21-year-old pastor on the southwest side of Chicago, newly married, making $8,000 in this rundown building, violence all around me, and I felt like, God, how can we ever make a dent in this place? This is overwhelming the needs of this city. He asked him only to test him because he already 
had a plan. Number two, write this down. I call it the lunch factor. Look at what it says in verse seven. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have just a bite. He was the logistical guy. He started doing the math and said, hey, Jesus, you know, you want to feed 5,000 people? Our budget can't handle feeding 5,000 or 10,000. And even if we could, they would get just a bite. It would take a half a year's wages. This is just ludicrous. But another disciple was there as well. Verse eight, his name is Andrew. You remember Andrew, he's the fisherman. He's Peter's brother. And he spoke up. Now I want you to notice the subtle difference between Philip and Andrew. Philip says, this is impossible. We might as well walk away. We don't have the resources to do it. So let's just leave this idea behind. Andrew, on the other hand, says this is a big task. This is kind of a crazy task. But here is what we have. We have a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Notice the difference. Philip saw the problem and said it was too big. Let's walk away from it. Andrew said, this is a huge problem, but let me, Jesus, let me bring you what I have. Can I tell you something today? God never holds you responsible for what you don't have, only for what you do have. Let me say that again. So many of us spend a lot of our time bemoaning what we don't have. Oh, Lord, if I were just married, I would get involved in the married couples. I would serve you, but I'm alone if I just had a husband. Maybe you walked in today and said, Lord, Holy Spirit, lead me. The person I sit next to, maybe he's the one. And then I've heard others say, Lord, if I just didn't have this spouse, I would really serve you. It, Can I tell you, God never holds you responsible for what you don't have, only what you do have. And so I wanna say that stop looking at what you don't have and start saying, thank you, God, for what I do have. And what I do have, Lord, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna offer it to you. I'm gonna ask that you use it, Lord. Even if it's small as a boy's lunch, I'm gonna say, God, I'm not gonna worry about what I don't have. I'm gonna take what I have because listen to me. Oftentimes, more often than not, the biggest solutions comes from the smallest places. That's the way that God loves to work. God loves to take the small and multiply it to do incredible things. I've seen that over and over. He starts in Bethlehem, uh, an unknown city for the Messiah to be born in. He takes a boy like David, who's just a shepherd. He doesn't look like the part of a king, but he uses a shepherd boy to be one of the greatest kings that was on earth. Over and over in scripture, you see God taking the little and multiplying it to do incredible things because God's strength is manifest in our weakness. God's power shows up 
when we lack power so that no one can boast and say we did it. It has to be a God thing. And I want you to notice this. I have, a, I have a story I want to tell you about this because it's related to food and it's related to our current pandemic. I think it illustrates this very well. I want to introduce you to a mom named Selena and her daughter named Claudia. Selena's in her 60s. Claudia's in her 40s. They barely speak English. It's hard for them to carry a full conversation in English because they weren't born in this country. They live in a Mexican immigrant community in the southwest side of Chicago called Little Village. And they're part of one of the churches that we helped to plant in the Little Village neighborhood. Ten years ago, they saw that in their community, there were people that did not uh, have food to eat. There were senior citizens who didn't have the means to pay for their food and that there were single mothers who struggled with putting food on the table of their children. So Selena and Claudia, mother and daughter, teamed up and they said, you know, let's help feed people that uh, are short of food here. And so they got an old van and they called it Pan de Vida, Bread of Life Ministry. And so for a decade almost, they would go around to uh, restaurants and, and um, stores and businesses like Trader Joe's that would contribute or other places that would have surplus or at the end of the day would give them what they had and they would load up their van and every week they would distribute food to about a hundred different people and that was part of their ministry. Faithfully doing that, they didn't have a great strategic plan. They didn't have resources. It was all donations that they did in their spare time. When the pandemic hit 13 or 14 months ago, they realized that in their community, there was a lot of people that got laid off of their jobs. And suddenly there was a high demand for food and people that uh, didn't have a, a way of feeding their family and a way pr of providing. And suddenly there was people knocking on their door saying, hey, can we be a part of this? And there was 500 people that requested help. And they were like, hey, we're barely managing with 100. 500 is overwhelming. So they talked to um, one of the pastors and my son, who's 27 years old, and they got together and they said, hey, what if we got together, what if God opened up the doors to feed a thousand families a week? And they were overwhelmed by it because they said, hey, we only have a lunch, a rusted old van and some food. This is overwhelming. And so they came together and they said, but there's a need there. And so they started to pray and talk to people and suddenly they found themselves feeding 500 a week, then 1,000 a week, then 2,000 a week, then 5,000 a week, then 10,000 a week, then 15,000 a week, then 20,000 a week, then 30,000 people a week. Over the last 13 months, because of the effort of these ladies, that, that little lunch turned into feeding 1.5 million people in Chicagoland. Twenty semi trucks. In seven different locations. The largest food distribution in the state of Illinois because two ladies said, I have a lunch bag, Jesus. Can you use it? 
I was blessed by what they did. I was out on a Saturday. Normally our church would have uh, uh, the location that I'm at, about 1,700 people there on a Sunday. And I was in the parking lot on a Saturday helping load box into people's cars. We had 150 volunteers, 800 cars lined up, hundreds of people coming to pick up food and we're helping load food and praying for them with signs. Hey, do you need prayer? Asking how they're doing spiritually, engaging in conversation, praying for people. And as I'm doing that, kind of complaining that our Sunday morning service would be closed because of the pandemic, God just reminded me that Saturday, hey, you have just prayed and ministered to 4,000 people on a Saturday in the parking lot, the majority of whom do not know Jesus. That's double of what you would have ministered on Sunday of most people who do know Jesus. The power of a lunch bag. God, here's what I have, use it. The mayor of Chicago was down there uh, three weeks ago uh, helping uh, load food. The governor has been down there. The police officers have been down there. It's been in the media, the news. Why? Because someone just said, here's my lunch bag. Jesus, you use it. And I want you to know, never despise the power of what God has given you. Never despise the unique gifts that God has given you. God will not hold you responsible for what you don't have. But he will hold you highly responsible for what he has entrusted to you. Much or little. Number three, the multiplication touch. Verse 10 after Andrew brings the lunch to Jesus, Jesus says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed it to those that were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Now it doesn't tell us in this passage, but the other passage uh, tells us, a, com a compa parallel passage tells us that he distributed it to his disciples. I want you to notice what Jesus does. Listen, Andrew brings the lunch to Jesus. You see the hand of the master touch the lunch. You see the word of the master as he prays and gives thanksgiving over the lunch. And then you see the people of the master as he distributes the lunch to the people. Don't miss it. Andrew brought what he had to Jesus. There are a lot of people that try to do things in the, the power of their own flesh. But I'm gonna tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your talents, your gifts, your abilities, whatever God has given you, you have to lay it at the feet of the master first. You have to take it and say, God, this is yours. It's the touch of the master. It's the word of the master. And then Jesus, what he does is he gives the lunch back to Andrew and the disciples and he says to them, now you distribute it but it's been touched by God, it's been spoken over by God, and now they have the power to release in it obedience. Now, you know, sometimes we sanitize these stories, but these are people that are doing this, and I always like to get into the human emotion of what's happening. Imagine Jesus prays, takes it, 
gives it back to Andrew and the disciples. He lines him up in front of this crowd of, of 5,000 hungry men, plus women and children. And then he says, now disciples feed them. Now, there's 12, a boy's lunch split into 12. There's very little they have in their hand. If I was the disciples, I would be looking for the exit plan. Like, how do I run when this angry mob comes after me? It seems overwhelming. When did the multiplication happen? Hear me. The multiplication did not happen until they started to release what they had. It was in the releasing that the multiplication happened, not before. Notice, it was in the act of obedience that multiplication miracle happened. It was in them saying, I'm obeying, and here you have it, that it was multiplied. Now, I don't know exactly how it happened because the Bible doesn't tell me, but if I were there, I'm playing out this picture in my mind, I would go to the first guy and I would give him a real little bit because I'm looking at what I have and say, this isn't gonna go very far. And so I would give him just a bite size. Here's, here's a little fish and he'd look at me and say, hey, dude, this is what I have. I'd give it to the second guy a little bit, give it to the third guy, fourth guy. But, but now... The disciples realizing, hey, I'm not running out. Fifth guy, sixth guy, I still have just enough. Seventh guy, I'm being more generous. Eighth guy, here, have a big one. Ninth guy, hey, let me go back to the first guy and feed him, because sorry, guy, I didn't give you enough. Why? Because they start to realize as you're in it, as you're in it, that God is multiplying what you have, resourcing what you don't have, empowering you with the power that you never thought you would have in the beginning because the power of God is manifest in the obedience to God. Some of us wait until we feel like we can forgive a person before we go to forgive. No, the power to forgive is found in your act of obedience of forgiving. The power to love that person is found when you choose I'm gonna love and then God baptizes you with the love for that person. The power to lead that ministry is found not always before. I've always felt overwhelmed by the things that God has called me to lead. When I was 21, leading that church, when I started New Life Centers, it felt overwhelming. When I stepped into Moody Bible Institute, every act that I've done seems overwhelming. And I say, okay, God, you're gonna have to provide the power and the grace and the strength that I need. I'm living and acting in obedience, Lord, and you multiply it. I'm talking to someone here today. And the Bible tells us that they distributed, they distributed. Taylor says, small things are not always contemptible. It all depends on the hands in which they are. And lastly, it's the overflow effect. Verse 12 says, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. I love the frugality of Jesus. Sounds like my mom. Don't let any food go to waste. 
So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with pieces from the five barley loaves of, of that which had been left over. 12 baskets. Why 12? Because there were 12 disciples. I think Jesus was making a point. Every disciple walked away with a basket full. And here's what I want you to understand. They thought if I release, I'm probably not going to eat because, hey, we don't even have enough. They released and they walked away. This is the way it always is in ministry. They walked away with more than what they had released. And I can guarantee you this, you step into opportunity that feels like it's demanding, draining, that you're gonna have to give, that it's difficult. When you walk in obedience, I feel like it always comes back to bless you even more than those that you're blessing. It's the way of God. And they walk away with 12 baskets. That's a big doggy bag to walk away with. A big basket of food left over from what they had contributed. The great opportunities come to those who say yes to the small ones. They fed 5,000 because they said yes to Jesus. I'm willing to feed. Now, I'm going to try to wrap it up here because this is really important. Don't miss this. In Luke chapter 9, verse 11, when it tells this story, it says that the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. This is not just a story about people that got fed. This is a story about people that heard Jesus teach about the kingdom of God, but he also fed them. A holistic mission is not just about doing good. It's about gospel-centered works. In other words, the gospel has to be at the center of what we do, driven by a love for Jesus. If not, it just becomes humanitarian work that makes us feel good about ourselves, but not gospel-driven. And it will lack the power to change lives. Every good that we do should be birthed out of a love for Jesus and should be impregnated with gospel-saturated, hope-life-giving messages, whatever we do. And when we just feed the poor, but we are not engaged in proclaiming the good news, we have done just half of a job. And when we just share the good news, but we do not follow it with action in kingdom of God culture, then we've just done half of a job. The gospel of the kingdom of God brings people to God through the message of Jesus Christ and then brings the culture of the kingdom to the places where we live. People heard the good news about the kingdom that were fed. And I don't know how many people that day met the real Jesus as they saw the miracle of multiplication but as they heard Jesus speaking. So let me close this way. First of all, let me say to you, if you've been attending this church, and say, I love that that this church has a heart for the world and the nations and is in Africa and South America and partnering with people, so good to be a part of a church that's doing good works. And you are privileged to do that. Praise God for the heart of this church. But let me say to you, if you are here and you don't know the gospel, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, you'll never get this church. You'll never get why we do it and what it's for. Because the good that comes out of here 
is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here sympathizing with the church and maybe you're here saying it's good to have religion in your life. Every good citizen in America should have religion in your life. Listen, it's more than that, my friend. You can be a sympathizer with Christianity and not be a Christian. You can know about Jesus, but not never surrendered your life to Jesus. The Bible is clear about this. And I took that step when I was 15 years old. The Bible is clear about this, that you can believe in a higher power, believe in a supreme being, and you can, uh, you can have a cross in your house. The, God wants more than that. He wants you to surrender your life to him through the sacrifice sacrifice of Jesus the son is when you come to realize I'm separated with this holy God I cannot be right with God the only way that you can be right with God is through the sacrifice of Jesus the son of God and God himself and when you come and you realize my life doesn't belong to me it belongs to a savior that paid a price for me and so not only do I surrender my gifts to him but I surrender my life to him as my Lord and my Savior, and that is when the miracle of regeneration happens in our life, when the Holy Spirit, the third person the Godhead, comes inside of our life and changes us from the inside out, the Bible calls that being born again. If you have never made that decision, if you have never chosen that, if you have never crossed that line, then Missions Fest makes no sense because it starts here. It starts with us. It starts with a personal decision. And so I want to challenge you today. If you've never done that, my parents were 17 and 18 years old. They came forward at a meeting like this and gave their life to Jesus because they know, they knew, they had it. Do not leave this place without making a decision like that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I'd like to pray for you. If you're already a follower of Jesus, my challenge to you is never despise your lunch bag. Because he wants to multiply it. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Mark, I... I've been around church, but I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never done that. I'm a sympathizer, but I heard what you said today. I need to give my life to Christ. I don't know, maybe everybody here has already. But if you haven't, I'm not gonna ask for anybody to close their eyes, bow their head. I figure if you can't follow Jesus in a room full of people that are Christian, then it'll never work outside. So this is not a private, this is a public. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've never given my life to Christ, but I want to, I'm just gonna ask that you raise your hand and say, I wanna give my life to Christ. I've never done that, but would you pray with me? All right? All right? I can't see real well because the, anybody else? Just raise your hand. I need to give my life to Christ. I need to give my life to Christ. Okay, I think I see a couple hands there. Should have brought my glasses. All right, I see a hand or two. I'm gonna pray with you. Love to talk to you after service as well. But I like to pray. 
It's not the magic of a prayer, it's the surrender of a heart. Yet it's not the magic of a prayer, but it's the surrender of a heart. And um, I'm gonna pray. Can I do that? I'm I, sorry, I don't know if I'm messing up the time frame and, and some of you need to come. But I want this one gentleman, could you come forward? I wanna, I wanna pray with you. I wanna pray with you. And if there's others in this auditorium, I don't know, that need to come and pray, I'll pray with you as well. But let me just pray, okay? Anybody else need to come down and have me pray? I see some, I think I see someone with a hand up there, I can't tell. Okay, but I'm gonna pray. And this is it. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, thou shalt be saved. You, you believe in your heart, but you can need to confess it with your mouth. It's not something that can be private. And so, um, I always like to do it publicly because I, I think it's not something that we can hide. It's not something that, it's not a little wiggle in our heart. Yeah. So, I'd like to do this. Missions Fest starts with our salvation. I thank God for these two men that have had the courage to say, I need to give my life to Christ. And so what I'd like to do is, if you feel comfortable, can you do that? Would you, would you mind bowing? Can you kneel? Yeah. It's not the magic of a prayer, it's the surrender of a heart. And if you would just repeat this prayer after me, if this is really what you want, could you say, dear God, out loud, dear God, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. I, I can't save myself. I can't save myself. But today I surrender. And I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. And my Savior. I choose to follow you, Jesus. I choose to follow you, Jesus. I turn from the way that I've been living. I repent and ask you to make me a new creation from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stay where you're at. We're going to have the worship team sing, and I just want to pray over you. Worship team, could you join us and sing?